When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. My thanks to uh, John Paul for sitting in for me for the last two days. It is good to be back and John Paul is back taking your calls at 0818 103 103. Anything you want to share with us, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Needless to say, the housing uh, crisis still very much dominating all of the papers uh, today. But something that might make more houses available to some people for rent is the news that nursing home residents will be able to keep all of the income raised from renting their family home under what's been described as very significant changes to the fair deal scheme. Now this is obviously in response to the long running housing crisis and also of course we've got the ending of the eviction ban. The government has committed to what they say eliminating remaining ban barriers for older people who want to rent out their homes when they're in care. And this pledge now has been made. It's part of the counter motion to Sinn Féin's private members motion, which is, of course, seeking to extend the controversial eviction ban. And that was debated in the Dáil last night. This move uh, has followed the regional independent group's demand for an easing of rules surrounding contributions to the Fair Deal scheme. And the group, which is led by independent uh, TD Dennis Nocton, they set out eight emergency housing measures that they want the government to introduce. And if the government introduced that, the independent group of TDs say that they will support the government in the vote, in voting down Sinn Féin's motion. And of course, there's also, let's not forget, a no confidence motion that's expected to be tabled by the Labour uh, Party next week. Now, under the Fair Deal scheme currently, Nursing home residents can keep 60% of rental income that they get from their former residents. But before changes that were introduced by the Minister for Older People, uh, Mary Butler, those changes were introduced last November. Up to that, people were only able to keep 20% of the rental income and then 80% went towards the cost of the nursing home care. And people felt it just wasn't worth renting out a home if 80% of it was going straight back into uh, nursing home care. So the government is now planning to allow those in nursing homes to keep all of the revenue raised from renting out the home. It won't, none of it will be used towards the cost of fair deal. Now obviously they will have to pay tax on any income that they uh, raise. Now Minister Butler had always raised concerns about eliminating the rental contributions from the fair deal scheme. She always had fear that some older people could be taken advantage of and you know her concerns has always be that people could be prematurely put into state care so that the family home could be rented out and there was always a bit of a worry about that. Anyway, that's it's something that certainly the independent group of TDs has been pushing for and according to the papers today it looks like that is going to go ahead. And actually the independents also have secured changes to the housing assistant payment, the HAP scheme, which will mean landlords will be maintained by the state 
even if the tenants default on the contribution. And that's been a huge bugbear for so many landlords who have taken on HAP residents. The HAP, the bulk of the payment is paid by the state and then the tenant pays a smaller contribution towards their rent. But what has happened, and I could never understand why they allowed it to go ahead, if the tenant defaulted on the payment, it meant that the landlord didn't get the bulk of the payment from the state. I could never understand why they allowed that. So there's going to be a change. The the rural group of independents have managed to get a change on that as well. That's according to the Irish Independent this morning. And then if you're looking at the other broadsheets, the examiner, for example, they're leading with government efforts to secure the backing of the independents are set to go down to the wire ahead of tonight's eviction ban uh, motion. The opposition has said that the housing minister, Darrell O'Brien, will be remembered as the minister who deliberately increased homelessness in pushing ahead the lifting of the eviction moratorium. However, Darrell O'Brien strongly hit back, accusing Sinn Féin yesterday of politicising the housing crisis by tabling uh, the motion. And of course, this evening's motion is not binding and it won't stop the planned lifting of the uh, eviction ban. But failure to keep a group of the eight independents on side, that could have significant consequences for the government next week because that Labour are tabling the no confidence motion and it was Ivana Babchik, the Labour leader said her party had been left with no choice given the government's refusal to roll back on the decision to scrap the eviction ban and the Irish Times is running with the coalition is confident it will win the Dáil vote on the eviction ban but they do say it could see its working majority tighten as some in Independence looks set to desert over the controversial decision to allow the moratorium to expire. And government sources, though, believe they will win the vote. This uh, motion being brought by uh, Sinn Féin and they reckon they'll win, a, they'll win it by a margin of six votes. We'll know more on that uh, this evening. But as I say, still so much in all the papers on the housing crisis and so many people so desperately worrying, worried now about losing the roof that's currently over their head once the moratorium is is lifted. Everyone for listeners says, morning Patricia, I'm so sad this morning looking at all my daffodils after the rain yesterday. They're all hanging over <laughs> and it's great at the moment seeing the blast of yellow, especially along the, the sides of the roads. Some of the some of the towns and villages have been great and I'm assuming Tidy Towns Committee is out planting the daffodil uh, bulbs and it's great to see that bloom of colour but yeah, there was a lot of rain uh, yesterday and unfortunately Mary, more rain forecast today. Let's keep our fingers crossed though that it will be a dry day for this Friday because this Friday is the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day and we're very proud here at C13 to be supporting Daffodil Day this year. Now Daffodil Pins will be available from Daffodil Day volunteers right across Cork and we're encouraging people when you buy your little silk daffodil make sure to wear it because it's a it's a sign as well that you're supporting the Irish Cancer Society but I think it also puts it in mind for other people to make sure that they go out and buy their daffodil pins and we will try and have the whole of Cork City and County awash with daffodils on this Friday and fingers crossed this day it'll be a dry day because it does make it a lot easier for those that are out uh, collecting so please uh, be 
supportive on Friday for the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day for this year. More important than ever, as we've discussed it on the programme, unfortunately, there's been late diagnosis with a number of people with cancer because of the pandemic and therefore the services of the Irish Cancer Society are going to be needed more than ever. And if you'd like to get involved with the Irish Society's uh, Daffodil Day, Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day, or if you want to donate, you can do it online as well, www.cancer.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. And we've had a couple of calls in from the Castletown Roach area this morning. There seems to be some issues with water. So we got on to Irish Water or Ishka Aaron, as they're known now, and they tell us they are investigating issues with water supply in the Ballyhooley and Castletown Roach areas. And uh, they'll let us know uh, when they discover what's going on there. But that's just for people in Castletown Roach and Ballyhooley. Aaron are doing investigation works as we speak 0818 103 103 Now in the first Irish study conducted into stalking and harassment, more than half of victims admitted that they'd never reported the threatening behaviour to the Gardaí The report was conducted by researchers at UCC in conjunction with the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork and from there I'm joined by Mary Crilly. Good morning to you Mary. Morning Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Now, Thank were you, you surprised to hear that so many didn't report the stalking or harassment to the Gardaí? I think I was more surprised to hear that so many did, you know, because um, stalking can be so subtle. It could be a situation where, like recently I met two lovely young women who live in a cul-de-sac and this guy every night drives up, you know, stops outside um, their gate and then drives off. So they felt they couldn't do anything. So a lot of the stalking would be kind of like that. So um, I surprised that so many did. But then you have the 42% who did report and they're saying that they're, um, there's a negative response from the guards. Now, that might have been the guards kind of saying at that stage they couldn't do anything because um, there's no legislation, but they didn't find they were supported in, in ways they needed to be. But 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 you, but that has changed, hasn't it? It is changing. It's changing all the time. Yeah. I mean, like two years has passed since Una and Eve kind of came out with their story, and they've made a huge difference in Irish society. Like we started up stalking in Ireland, and um, in the past six months, we've had over a hundred people contacting us looking for support. And I'd like to say you don't have to be sexually assaulted to contact us. There's one third of people who have been stalked by a stranger and we are working with them as well. <clears throat> Sorry, I just have something in my throat. Yeah, you, I, don't want people, okay. I don't want people to think that, you know, to contact stalking in Ireland, they have to be raped or sexually assaulted. You don't. Any kind of stalking and we will support them in whatever way we can. Yeah, you, you know, mean, because you have one third there, which is quite high, who are stalked by somebody they know, somebody they didn't know, somebody they worked with in a distance and they don't know where to go. Because I know people in intimate relationships will often go to the domestic violence services who are really good and really supportive. So the others too, we want to kind of make sure we're there for them as well. Yeah, that was the one thing, you know, that comes out strongly in the report, that this isn't always stranger danger. I mean, in in many, many cases, the stalkers are well known to the victim. Oh, in lots of cases they are. In lots of cases, intimate partners where they say, you know, they threaten them with images, you know, private images that they might have taken. They threaten their family, they threaten their friends. And also a huge um, number of the men threaten to harm themselves. You know, if you leave me, I'll kill myself. Or if you do this, 
I'll do that and it'll be your fault, you'll be responsible. So it's a whole guilt trip and it's a whole power trip. And, you, you know, and I think 10% of the survey was men who were being stalked. And we would have come across businessmen who are stalked. They wouldn't have called it that initially. Somebody that might have had a difficulty with a customer or something like that. And then the customer keeps asking them, keeps texting them, keeps emailing them and wouldn't have seen it as stalking. But that is stalking. And they talk about the huge effect it's had on their lives. A huge amount of people have had to go for counselling, but the long-term effects, not sleeping, depression, anxiety, loss of relationships. Because if you're waking up every day and wondering what's going to happen next, it destroys everything. Yeah, and I, you mentioned Una Ring from y'all. I mean, I've spoken uh, with Una many times and, and she's been so brave, um, her and, and Eva, sharing uh, their stories. Uh, and I think th- they both really get across that these crimes have a really serious toll on the person who's targeted. I think so. And I think this would have happened only for the two of them, only for the two of them going on every radio show they could, only for the two of them pushing it looking for legislation and saying something needs to change. And then what we did in the centre, we realised there needs to be some kind of piece of research done. We got a small amount from Tulsa to work with um, victims of stalking, about 10,000. So we used a lot of that for the report to get the information out because now we have something to hold on to that we can kind of go to the government, go to the guards and say, look, this is the reality. You need training, we need to do something and we need to change the whole culture around stalking. So I welcome it. But it doesn't just show you that it is the first ever report of stalking. Like you'd have lots of reports on rape or on child sexual abuse or on different issues to do with sexual violence. And this is the first one on stalking. So I think that in itself tells how much has been ignored. And I do welcome the spotlight being put on it. Is further legislation now needed to protect people, Mary? And that's coming. Um, I think Lisa Chambers, the senator who is kind of working on that, said it should be in by April. That's the plan. So that will make a difference. And hopefully there'll be other kind of um, things in, in the legislation where somebody can go for like a barring order type thing, not quite, but something like that where they'll have a civil order where they can really make a difference and say he's doing this or she's doing this and I need them stopped. And what is your message to anyone listening who is or has been a victim of stalking and Please contact us or any family member or any friends who want information, who want support, contact the centre. We have two counsellors available who are just dealing with victims of stalking because it does take time, it does take a different kind of support and please contact us. Don't be out there on your own. Get information, get support and we'll take it from there. Yeah, anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or... And I mean, the lengths some people are going to to try to avoid the stalker, like people are missing work over it or changing the way they go to and from work, changing how they socialise. I mean, it has a huge effect on people. They change everything, you know, thinking that makes make a difference. But if the stalker's going to be there and want to stalk you, he'll do it, but they change their work. As you say, they change their friends. They don't go out anymore. They change socialising. They change everything. They their mind frame changes, their life changes, their life just stops because they're in fear of kind of what might happen next. So it has a huge impact. And I think a lot of times it's minimised. And there's still, would you believe it, there's still people around kind of saying to young girls, you're so lucky, he really just likes you. That's why he's kind of after you, that's why he's there. And look at him, he's flowers for you. Would you not just um, have a heart and go out with him because that's all he wants you to do? Yeah, because I was reading in the report that one of the respondents who went to the Gardaí uh, was basically told by the Gardaí that, Asher, your man just fancies you. Take the compliment. And that happens a lot, unfortunately. Goodness. That happens a lot. 
Yeah. Goodness, yeah. goodness me. All right, so that's where additional training is needed by and guard this year, Kona. And to take the crime seriously, but I think once it's in legislation, they will have to take it seriously because it will be a crime. It will be named as stalking as a crime, not just within somewhere stuck in there on the harassment legislation, which you couldn't really find once it's down there as a crime. They can do something and we can all do something. But I think we can all <coughs> support each other and really support victims and really support friends and really ask them not to minimise it because it is very serious if your life has been turned upside down. And I think at the webinar last night, there's over 150 people there and they all want to make a difference and they all care. So I think if we keep collaborating, we can change things. Una and Eve have just proven that. They've done it. We yeah. wouldn't be this far without them. Okay, well done, well done, and uh, well done to you. And by the way, um, I saw, and I unfortunately wasn't able to make it, but thank you for the kind invitation to your civic reception uh, earlier this uh, month. Was that, was, that, was it a very exciting night? It was. Well, it was kind of marking the 40th years of the Red Crisis Centre. Yeah. You know, and I just looking back 40 years ago, and it's hard to believe that 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 amount of time has gone. So it was kind of marking it. So it was. It was. It was a very welcome um, event, and we were very thankful for the city hall for putting it on. And we had a, we had a good night. We had a different night. We had um, music from the High Hopes Choir and the Garda Choir. And then CBG doing um, 80s disco because I like that kind of stuff rather than something a bit staid. So, yeah. Well we done. Had a great time. Well done. Well done. And it, it, you know, I and I'm, I'm, I imagine at times, Mary, it's hard to believe that it is forty years, and you could never have seen forty years ago that you'd still be here battling some of the same, very same issues. You couldn't, but at least this something like yesterday would give you a lift. Yeah. You know that it is changing. I think once people who were abused or who were raped started being able to come out, having the space and the confidence to kind of come out and say this happened to me that changed the whole thing that yeah. really changed stuff when men came out who were abused as children in institutions that changed everything because it put a human face on it it put the it got rid of the secrecy and the shame and the guilt so I mean things have moved slow in 40 years I'd love it to be moved quicker but um, I've been inspired so much by all the people we've seen in the centre over the years they're just phenomenal there's no other word for it it's the bravery Mary uh, of those people isn't it well, it is, because you don't know what kind of kickback you're going to get. You know, are you going to be forever known as um, the one who something happened to, or are you going to be known as kind of, would she ever get over it? It mm. happened 40 years ago, would she ever cop on? You know, so you really don't know what kind of response you're going to get. And then a lot of people, like, you know, we've I say about 20% of the clients at this stage in the centre are men. So a lot of them kind of say they don't want to tell the families later on in life because they feel they should be over by now. The mothers are elderly, they don't want to hurt them, but still they want to tell them. So that kind of still continues, you know, that but, kind of thing. But they, they need, and those people need support and, and need to be told that it wasn't their fault and, and they have nothing to be ashamed of. And they need to know, even if it was 40 or 50 years ago, that child is still in there or that person who was raped is still in there and come and talk doesn't matter how long ago it was if it was last week or it was years ago please if you need support just come and get it okay, well you done. deserve it you really deserve it you do incredible work Mary yeah. pleasure as always thank you for that thanks a lot and uh, thanks thank for joining us that's the wonderful uh, Mary Crilly from the Sexual Violence uh, Centre in Cork 0818 103 103 there's a text in from a listener in West Cork to say Patricia would you please 
give a shout out to the committee of the West Cork Rally to ask them to take down the signs, the road closure signs. They're still up and people don't know if roads are closed or not. Now, I'm assuming that that's a, a voluntary uh, committee and they would have had a very busy weekend. But if there's anybody listening from the committee, some of the signs are still in place saying road closure. Now, I'm assuming local people will know that the roads are open, but it could be a bit of a distraction to anybody visiting the area. So those signs need to be removed, please. Now, there has been some fears in the North Cork area that the South Dock base in Formoy could be permanently relocated to Cork City. To find out if there's any truth in the rumours, I'm joined by uh, North Cork Councillor uh, Franco Flynn. Good morning to you, Frank. Good morning, Patricia, and good morning, uh, listeners, this morning. You're very welcome uh, to the programme, uh, Frank. OK, the background to this, because I've spoken, I'm sure I've spoken with you uh, before Christmas, there was concerns, again, that the South Dock service in Formoy might be uh, relocated. Talk to me about where these fears are coming from and why you're concerned. Well, I'm very, very concerned because uh, what's happening at the moment is I've heard quite a lot of rumours and there's a lot of fears, both from the staff and from people who use the service. Because everyone knows, Patricia, South Dock uh, provides a crucial out-of-all service. It's an out-of-all GP service in the Fumai area that covers all in North Cork. Uh, it's a very popular and it's a very, very well-run and very efficient service in Fumai. The staff are concerned. And what's happening is we see it not only in Fumai, but also where positions are being advertised where vacancies are, but they're not being filled. And what I feel is, is this, I think this is a sign of, they're saying, oh, we, did, we didn't fill this, we didn't fill that, both staff, both drivers, and both office staff and support staff. And I, I see this, uh, Patricia and listeners, as close it by stealth. And if there's positions there, because we have situations now recently where staff were shot in the Malabias, even there was a doctor missing last weekend, and from I had to close down, and if I had to go over and mend the Malabias, so everything was ran from Mala. We had a patient from Yalways who was there nearly from Trahin into Perry had to go to Mella. We had another situation recently where the staff went to Fumai, Norman and Mella, and a, a lovely lady came all the way from Charleville. So that, that, that isn't good management because if a doctor and a cat has to go all the way from Fumai to Charleville or go all the way from Fumai to, um, down, to down, down as far as uh, the borders of Kerry, and to get back again that's not provided yeah, and, and the whole idea of South Stock service is that there's one located I mean in, in County Cork there's one in Canturk Mallow Fomoy Bandon Bantry Castletown Bear Clonakilty yes. Skibbereen Middleton and McCroom and obviously uh, inside in Cork City uh, and the whole idea is that you've got one in your locality yes. and the Fomoy base and the, the Fomoy sale it covers not alone Fomoy in North Cork it also goes only into South Tipperary goes up as far as Court, nearly almost into Cair down to Waterford Belly Duff down all the way down into West Limerick, down as far as nearly almost down as far as Bellylanders, Galbally, down to Gilfinnan. Yeah, it's a huge area. It's, it's a, a massive area. But, it, but is this back? I mean, we've we've seen and heard from so many other services that have either had to close or can't offer a full service because of this retention and recruitment of staff. I mean, is that literally what we're back to again? Well, I've, I've known, I've, I've been told of cases where, where people have applied for the positions but they're hearing nothing. So if positions are being advertised and they're not being filled, you know and I know what happens next if there's no staff to services to give. And this is an opportunity then they say, oh, we can't close it. So and what they're trying to do is they're going to close it, I said, by stealth. And there is rumours on the ground. And I want to lay the, the fears about the staff and the wonderful staff over there. And also the patients in the area it covers is that there's talks that it could actually go to Cork. And you, not long with the, with the, uh, for my base, Cork, but also maybe the Mallee base. 
another question. They, they thought, now this happened in Clare. It's also after happening in Limerick. So as as, as, as one um, person recently said to me, Frank, as soon as daylight follows night or night follows day, they're, they're conditioning the people. And it's a wonderful service. People are very, very happy. It is very central. It's easy to access if someone wants to get in. But if, if someone, said from Galbraith, had to go all the way up to Glenmire, up to Cox, the, north, uh, north side of Cox City, they'd never get there. And, and you're also, what you're talking about here is an out-of-hours service. So people will only use an out-of-hours service if it is an emergency. Most people will wait until their own GP is open the next day if they can hold out. But, you know, to pick up the phone and ring Southstock, you're either very sick yourself or you've got a family member that you're very concerned about. Well, first of all, if you're in Southstock, uh, you're evaluated and you're monitored. And then if the person uh, um, uh, will decide whether you, you have to come into Southstock or whether the doctor call out, and that's the decision. And and uh, people don't take that decision lightly because they probably wait for the wrong doctor. And of course, that is shin scale. That's another story. I'm hearing many, many stories now where people have to wait maybe not alone two or three days. But the, uh, the person recently said six days they have to wait to meet their GP. That's a major issue. We have a major issue with the amount of GPs, with the amount of uh, the, the time that they have to wait to, to meet them. And I said the day for the GP call you out to a patient is long gone. But, but isn't it, isn't that putting an additional strain on the South Dock oh, services? People who can't get into their own GP will then ring the out of hours service. Yeah. We've also heard from people who have moved to an area and can't get onto yeah. the books of a GP, and I, they have no other choice but to use the out of our service. I have a family who came to work recently in the Norcock area and they are now six months in Norcock and they have three lovely children and they, and they have no, they cannot uh, sign up a GP. Cannot, next to impossible. Now, we, we, I've, um, we have sat them over a doctor on different occasions but they are very, very, very concerned because they, they can't even say, Frank, we can't even say, so we know what they're going to be in Mitchell's or from I, where are we going to get a GP? So that's a very, very big issue. But the one thing here, this is the service that we have. This is a service worth fighting for. It's provided to me. And I, as a local councillor, Frank Cuffin, I'm going to fight tooth and nail three ten this. We're losing firm, too many. Uh, look, we're losing the post offices. We're, we're, we're losing losing shops. We're losing service stations. We're talking about putting power and people back into, in, into villages and into rural towns. This is a tremendous service that we have in covering all in our cock. And I'm going to ensure, and i got the full support of all the councillors, that we'll, that we'll write to South Dock, write to the HSE, and ensure that this tremendous service that we have in Formai will remain in Formai. Well, I know that Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean uh, Sherlock, he wrote to the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly last September, I'm sure it was, and he got, the Health Minister got back and uh, said that there were no plans to discontinue the South Dock service. I mean, do you take comfort from that? That's direct from the Health Minister. What I'm saying is this, the, the, the staff that are there, and some patients are saying to me, Frank, there is fears and there is rumours. All I'm calling for at the last meeting was to lay the rumours and lay the fears. I'm calling the HSE to clarify and give a long-term commitment in writing to me and, and the councillors in our car that they are fully committed to retaining the South Dock base in Formai for the needs of the people of Narcock. That's all I'm looking for. That's all I want. And there's no smoke without fire. Uh, numerous staff in different areas there is concern in Mella and the one thing I, I, I as in for my the one thing is happening for the journalists is this if positions are being advertised as being vacant and they're not being filled 
and there's people actually who have applied for them not being called for interview. You there's want to find wrong. out why, yeah. Martin is making the point when you hear of all of the HSE positions that are not being filled, it doesn't mean that nobody's interested. Could it mean that they're not paying enough? Uh, is, the, is it to do with the salary? It's all about pay and uh, money. Do, do you know if that's an issue? But, but you're, you're, you're not claiming it's a salary issue. You're no. claiming people are applying and for whatever reason not getting that's the it, positions. That's it. And then we're, we're told in, uh, if, the, if, if there's a shortage in Mallow of a doctor or some staff, they close the whole basin for my, and that staff has to, be, has, has to go to, go to Mallow. That's not providing a local service. All I want is this um, clarification to allay the fears about the patients and the staff and allay the fears of any uncertainty. It's easy enough. The listeners are kind of, I want to retain that base. And it's no business to say, Frank, oh, why didn't we cry? I'm going to make sure we're going to do it before they make the decision. And this is conditioning, and it's not the first time that has been risen, that they move both for my service and for my base, and also the matter base, moving to Narcock, and they're talking about St. Stephen's in Glen Myers. That is no secret. That's not the service. We have a service, we have a wonderful staff, and a, and a, a wonderful service here, and for my to serve the patients in Narcock, it's not asking too much to lay the fears and to give, give assurance for to the staff and the patients that we retain this service. Okay, so you raised the most at the Northern Committee meeting so now it's South Dock you're writing to Right, we're writing to South Dock Okay For clarification and to give a commitment of their long commitment long term commitment to the FMI base and the FMI cell that uh, that, that, that is going to remain in place and to, in order to provide the necessary medical needs of the patients of all Norcock and as I said it's a vast area um, it's 50 or 60 miles the Mallow one goes all the way down to Belly Desmond does, yeah, the Mallow one goes all the way down to Saras Laheen up yeah. at almost clear and down to Saras Hospital that's a vast they're area they're huge catchment areas yeah absolutely and as, as I reiterate it is an out of hour service which means people are genuinely usually very unwell before they'll make contact it's a critical service it is, yeah. we cannot afford to, um, to lose this and we're going to fight tooth and nail to ensure that this service retains and remains in, in for my serve the people of Narcock, the patient, and also the wonderful staff that we've there to lead the fears of that staff as well. Okay, before I let you go, um, I travelled on the upgraded road from Mallow to Mitchellstown uh, last weekend. It's a fabulous job, isn't it? Oh, it is absolutely beautiful, and I also want to compliment the, the, the contractor. They're up to three to four months, Patricia and listeners, ahead of time. Absolutely wonderful. They have someone up there, probably have another seven or eight weeks there to do. And also, uh, I compliment them at, at the meeting, and I'm delighted you raised it now because at yesterday's meeting of uh, the area roads for my municipal area, the cops for my Mitchell is I got great news following my motion, and I flagged it earlier in the year not that money would be made available to serve the roads in the area. The roads, uh, these are the people now, the by roads that were utilised while the roads were being put in place. We know the bed weather and frost we have. People from all the way up Farrahee killed all the way down the Bog Road meets down in Shamlamore. Those roads at the moment are in office state. I'm delighted and we reassured. Well, they took a lot of heavy traffic. Oh, they took yeah. a night and day in bad weather. And those roads weren't kept. Some were, were built back in the, in the 1800s when they were in there for a hosting cat. I'm delighted that funding has been made available. And Bernagarman, our area engineer, said they'll start straight away to, to look to re- Retain, put back the, the verges which are in office there to fill in the potholes and to overlay them and also in the next year or two we're going to do a major resurfacing on those roads okay. especially in Farrahee Kildallery and it's... also in the Shamlamore area the Bog Road meets down and other areas like Castle Roach Danwell and Rock Mills they suffered quite a lot but it's wonderful news 
for the motors and especially also for the residents. But the most important thing, Patricia, is the safety that it gives them. Yeah. That was yeah. very, very dangerous. And we all know the trees that were there. I want to thank the many staff in Cork County Council, Tom Stretch, Aidan Weir and Brendan O'Gorman for pushing this for me down through the years. Okay. All right, Frank, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thank thanks you. for joining us. Uh, good morning, Jake. Bye-bye. That is uh, North Cork uh, Fianna Fáil Councillor Frank O'Flynn. Martin reckons when it comes to the retention of staff at the HSC, which was one of the points that uh, Councillor Frank O'Flynn made when it comes to making sure that the South Dock service remains in Formoy, he says that it's they've had a problem with getting staff to work at some of the South Dock services and then if staff phone and sick are not available, it means closing one base and transferring all the staff to another base and of course the knock-on effect then is patients having to travel further to access the service of a doctor at the South Dock uh, service. Martin says it is all about money. We're not dummies. Money talks. Uh, you know you know that. Thank you for reading out my uh, text. Then the HSC has, you know, across a number of different areas have had an issue with getting staff to apply for jobs multidisciplinary teams all over the country are short on staff because they can't get people uh, to work and then there's an issue with retention as well and Martin is making the point if you pay people enough they will take up the jobs 0818103103 and Dennis says very hard to hear this morning Patricia about the ESB uh, profits why we're all paying huge electricity bills and this is the story from the ESB group out just out today actually they are it's their operating profit before exceptional items and this is for last year to the end of December 2022 and the figures are staggering 847 million euro and that profit is up 679 million on the previous year now the chief executive of the ESB group a gentleman by the name of Paddy Hayes says he was very conscious that it's a very tough time for customers and he said it's difficult to be talking about profits at a time when electricity prices remain high. But he did point out this morning that all of the increases in the ESB Group's profits have come from the generation business working in the wholesale markets in Britain and in Ireland. And he's pointed out that none of the profits have come from any of the residential customers. In fact, he said they made the decision to forego profits on the residential customer book. And I remember they did announce that uh, last year and he also uh, pointed out that the Electric Ireland which is the residential arm of the ESB uh, group, uh, they last year gave a 50 euro credit to more than 1.1 million residential customers and they did that back in December and it cost them 55 million euro and they say they didn't make any profit from the residential electricity supply business and of course they also are the group that decided to reduce the cost of electricity to business customers but they still haven't moved on the residential customers and okay they were I think the only utility company that gave the 50 euro credit to their customers but many people would say that's just a drop in the ocean when people are looking at huge huge electricity bills now they also did increase into their hardship fund they put in an extra 5 million and that's the money that's administered by MABS and it's administered by Vincent Paul. people who are really struggling with their electricity bills can go to MABS can go to Vincent de Paul and the 
there is this money all of the utility companies have put money into the hardship fund and it helps to pay off people's very high electricity bills but people are still getting very very high bills and at the moment we the bills that we are receiving the bills that are coming in now and will be coming in in the next number of weeks it's their final 200 euro credit from the government is on that and people are starting to think well what about the April and May bills now I know it'll be the summertime and hopefully we won't be using as much electricity but there'll still be some very very high bills that people are going to have to deal with because companies like Electric Ireland are still not reducing how much they are charging customers and there doesn't, I mean reading through the statement this morning from the ESB group talking about their profits, there doesn't seem to be any move on reducing costs to the residential uh, customers and I suppose only time will tell but it is hard you know when you hear that they're making that type of uh, profit and yet all they give back to their customers is a 50 euro credit which doesn't go very far when you've got a, a, an astronomical electricity bill 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text her WhatsApp to, uh, to 086 to 103 103 we need to take a break and we have news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed. I spoke about stalking and harassment in the last hour with Mary Crilly on that report. Researchers from UCC uh, with the backing of the Cork Sexual Violence Centre. First ever report into uh, stalking and harassment in this country. And it's something that has been going on for so many, many years. And because it wasn't on the statute books and because people would go to the Gardaí and the Gardaí felt their hands were tied, nothing they could do. And sometimes this, the stalking would be so subtle, but it can have such a devastating impact on the victim's life particularly when nobody seems to believe what's going on and nobody seems to realise the effect that the stalking can can have Martin was on to say in a work workplace where he was working a number of years ago they discovered that the receptionist was being stalked and he said at the start nobody really realised that this person was stalking the receptionist. It was an open type office and the man would come in to make inquiries. However, he would only come in on the days when the receptionist was working. And if she wasn't at the desk, he would wait or demand to speak with her. And Martin said, in reality, whatever it was that he was inquiring about could have been dealt with with anybody else. But this guy was insisting that he would only speak with the female uh, with the female receptionist. In the end, the person was waiting around outside the premises and the guard eventually had to get involved. So, so yes, Mary Critty speaking on your programme today is right. Stalking doesn't necessarily mean a physical attack or a sexual attack, but it can make people really, really nervous. Uh, thankfully, the Gardaí were alerted to this. They took it seriously and it was dealt with. And that's a typical example of stalking and the effect that it can have on that person's life. And then Gary says, this isn't all one-way traffic. I rented a house out previously and a lady in the house accused me of sexual assault. It ended up going to court. I had to get a solicitor and a barrister was involved. 
and I had to deal with a whole lot of trauma. It was found out to be a false complaint and I was cleared. However, there was no repercussions for the person who made the false claims. They caused me so much hurt and anxiety uh, for over a year. Now, that's slightly different to what we were talking. That's to do with false accusations, which are absolutely uh, shocking, uh, Gary. And I absolutely accept the effect that it can have can be devastating on somebody's life because, again, you're there thinking, are people going to believe me uh, or not? It's, it is absolutely shocking uh, when that happens and hopefully you've recovered fully uh, from it. And Gary's also on about the eviction ban. He said there are many reasons for evictions, but mainly people get evicted because they're not paying their rent. The landlord wants the house back or if they're bad tenants, the antisocial behaviour, for, for example, or they could be destroying the house. They can just be bad tenants. They're some of the reasons for uh, evictions. If those parties that want the eviction ban to stay, will they pay the rent that is owed to so many. You've got people who refuse to uh, pay rent. And in fairness I think to any of the opposition parties and certainly any of the ones we've spoken with on this programme who are against the lifting of the eviction ban, all of them I think collectively will say if it's a bad tenant then the bad tenant needs to be uh, removed. I don't think there's anyone would justify somebody who trashes a house or somebody who doesn't pay rent and we've heard from landlords who have been left in real financial difficulty uh, because the tenant is and paying the rent are because of the way they left the house and the amount of work that had to be done. I don't think anyone, anyone would say it's okay to leave a person in a house in in that sort of situation uh, for sure. And then Anne reckons with the whole housing crisis that's going on, Anne reckons there will be a general election before the end of this year, Suzanne, mark my words, due to the housing crisis. And God knows, Anne, governments have fallen for much smaller things than the the housing crisis that we have at the moment. So uh, whether we'll have a general election by the end of the year or not, I don't know. 0818 103 103. We, we, we discussed car insurance on the programme last uh, week and how people are starting to notice that their car insurance premiums are going up even though we were told the car insurance was to uh, decrease. Uh, Joe says he was listening with interest on the programme and lo and behold his premium arrived in the door and the premium he received was for €500 Euros, so he decided he'd do the advice that we're always giving people. He decided that he would shop around. He did try to shop around but he said every single quote he got was more expensive than the €500 he got from his existing company. So he went back to his existing uh, company and says, oh, I think that's a bit pricey. Can you knock a bit off it, please? And they did. They knocked €50 off it. So he got it down to 450 And he said out of interest yesterday, he rang around yesterday just to see, uh, but he said all of the quotes again were over €500. He says definitely, for sure, insurance costs when it comes to your car uh, is uh, going up. 0818 103 103 certainly driving a car at the moment is is a costly costly thing uh, to do and if you live in a rural area you really don't have a lot of choice you don't have the option to be able to use uh, public transport the only thing I've noticed uh, though the price of petrol and uh, diesel for the first time at the weekend I noticed just in one garage actually it's a garage uh, near me the price of diesel has gone below the price of unleaded petrol and that's the first time in a long, long uh, while. So there's a bit of a stabilisation there on petrol and diesel at the moment, which is giving 
some little bit of relief to motorists. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. The Inchidani Island Lodge and Spa. They are hosting a recruitment open day. It's on Saturday the 1st of April. It'll be from 12 noon until 3 in the afternoon. You need to bring along your CV on the day or you can email it in advance to eshepherd at inchidonnyisland.com Allied Profiles in Mallow they're looking for a production operator job does come with an immediate start CVs to mohoney at alliedprofiles.com A site dump driver with groundworks experience please is wanted for the Old Yall Road area of Cork CVs to jobs at habitantfrench.com and Eurospa at Ballyroe Co-op they're recruiting part-time show shop store assistance and they've got part-time hours available to suit your lifestyle you phone christine for more details 023 881 you'll find all the details from today's jobs slot and more job opportunities by going online now just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more this is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. Now, last Sunday, so many people celebrated having the best mother in the world for Mother's Day, but very few mothers get the chance to give one of their children the gift of life for a second time. Well, my next guest, Marion Coleman from Charleville, did. And she joins me to share the story of donating one of her kidneys to her son, Neil, with a reminder, of course, to all of us why it's so important to carry a organ donor card. Uh, good morning to you, Marion. Good morning, Patricia. You're very welcome to the programme. Now, I know the transplant operation happened in 2021. So I suppose my first question is, how are you both doing today? Absolutely fabulous. Absolutely. You would not know either of us had been through surgery. So I'd say for him, he's always having to watch stuff. So, uh, you know, he, he gets regular appointments at the doctor and that. So for me, it could have been 10 years ago. That's how good I feel. Goodness, fantastic. OK, so I suppose take me back. When did your son Neil start to develop kidney problems? Um, well, he was about 25. We noticed it after uh, his brother's wedding, immediately after you know, like, because he was enjoying himself, as you can imagine, at yeah. that age. And the next day, he just, <laughs> he was hiding his face from us because everybody that saw him just went, what happened? <laughs> he looked like he'd been beaten up. All the, the red under his eyes and around his face. Now, that, that cleared up, but we knew straight away that there was a problem with the kidney because he had actually had a kidney removed when he was um, seven or eight years old. Um, ah, he, so he was, yeah. o- he was only living on one kidney at that stage. He, yeah, yeah. Um, but like we had expected that to last him his whole, whole, his life. whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it wasn't, he doesn't have an innate problem with kidneys. He had a problem with reflux, which yeah. damaged the kid. He damaged both kidneys and one had to be removed. But the other was, um, it was only slightly damaged. But apparently that can actually fail in later, later in life, you know, once it's 
received so, that. So when he started to look unwell, as you say, after the big family wedding, did you suspect kidney problems yourself? Uh, well, he did. He oh. did straight away. I suppose it was because it was under the eyes. Yeah. Um, but um, it, still, it still took a while. Like, yeah, sure enough, he was down to only 25% of the kidney. Uh, well, I think 25% is half of the one kidney, you know. The, yeah, yeah. Um, and we were hoping that it would, you know, now that he was, he would change his lifestyle a little bit, that it would improve, but it didn't. It kept going down and down. So it was dawning on us, you know, it was a slow realisation that uh, this was get. you know, it was bad. He was going to need a transplant at some point. Was he so, on dialysis fairly quickly? No, because no. because he should have been on it, but because one of us were going to donate a kidney and he didn't want to go out, he wanted to delay that if possible. So oh, they were working with okay. him. They so were he, working so with he, didn't, him. he didn't end up on dialysis? No, but he, he really should have been on it. Right. It was only because the, don- the kidney was being donated that they worked with him, as I said. They wanted him. He had the thing attached to the stomach so he could have home dialysis. He had it all prepared. It was all there, all done. So, uh, yeah, he avoided dialysis. But I think he would have felt better had he been on it, you know. So who, how was that whole discussion brought up about a living donor? Who who first mentioned that? Um, well, we had an advantage over most people. My niece had donated a kidney. Um, like she was my brother's daughter, but it was on her mother's side of the family. Um, okay. She donated a kidney. She'd already had one child and she went on to have three more children after it. So if your body can tolerate pregnancies, you know, we knew we knew full health was there for the taking afterwards, you know, assuming everything goes well. So, so who, who did your niece donate a kidney to? Her uncle. Oh, goodness, you're an amazing family. So, it be, so, so you had seen it in action within the family. I had seen it in action in the family, and um, I think that's what's great about getting the chance to talk is is to let people know that, like I am, I am doing everything I was doing beforehand. I am doing afterwards. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There is absolutely no sensation whatsoever of only being on one kidney, because apparently, like. Like most things in our bodies, it does more than it needs to do. So we actually don't need two kidneys. Yeah, you people. Uh, yeah, and there's people born with one kidney and and functioning yeah. well throughout their entire life. How did you or did you have to do anything to prepare for the operation? I mean, did you get as fit and as healthy as you could, for example? I I did. Now they told me I didn't have to do anything, but I, I guessed if I got as fit as I could be, there'd be less chance of them turning me down. Because they check everything, absolutely everything, everything that I could think of and more, they check to make sure you're healthy. So you're going into the operation as a healthy individual, mm. you know, whereas the, the recipient is sick. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And that's, that, as a mother, Marion, that's hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And um, I think as a father as well, like my, myself and my husband were like, you know, Mrs. Doyle and her friend trying to fight over who was going to pay for the, the sandwiches. Because <laughs> was, there, was there more than you went forward to, for a match for suitability or how? Uh, no, um, 
his brothers were willing, but they didn't need to because myself and my husband were were going forward first. So, uh, and also we wanted to know about our age. You know, were we too old or whatever? But not in the least. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. now that my son has the kidney, his young blood is is uh, feeding it <laughs> whatever it needs. <laughs> so you know, it's not like he has. It, it doesn't stay. The same as it was in my body, it should last. It should last a long time for him. Yeah, it's in a it's in a younger body. And can yeah. you remember that moment when you found out that you were suitable? Oh yeah, big celebrations! Absolutely over the moon, over the moon. Because you know, then I've only to worry about me and uh, Neil. I didn't have to worry about any of my other children putting themselves forward or anything like that. You know. Um, and yeah. the operation was in 2021. What month was it? September. September. So we're right in the middle of COVID times. We were, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know how long it normally takes for the process, but for us it took probably a year from the meeting to the actual operation because, you know, it, everything slowed down with, with COVID. But then when you were both in Beaumont Hospital. Yeah. No visitors? No visitors, no visitors. But it was a short stay. What? Like I was only there from, we went in on Sunday night, the operation was Monday morning and I was out on Friday. My goodness. And what about Neil? <laughs> Did he have to stay longer? He had to, he had to stay till the following Monday. That's all? That's it, yeah. <laughs> God, it's incredible. And were you able to see Neil in the hospital? Yeah, we, we were. were. Uh, yeah, not, not the first couple first couple of days but um, but that was more to do with you know you're attached to so many things you can't move around <laughs> yeah. so um, yeah we were able to see each other so that that was nice and for my husband was the IKA they they look after every aspect that you could possibly think of for a hospital visit and my husband got to stay in the Clayton Hotel which is right next to Beaumont Hospital so that he was in close contact. Anything we needed, he could drop at the reception. And the IKA look after that. They paid for that, for him to be there. That's the the Irish Kidney Association. They're, yeah, they're wonderful. Yeah. They are. Oh, they yeah. are absolutely marvellous. And that's why when they do their, I know we're talking about Daffodil Day uh, yes. this week, but they do the Forget-Me-Not as a fundraiser for the Irish Kidney Association. So I'm always saying to people to support them. They are, a, they are yeah. an amazing operation. Because tough on Jimmy, your husband, because... He's close to the hospital, but he can't get into you and he can't get yes. into Neil. That must have been difficult for him. It was very tough. It was very tough. With hindsight, the day we had the operation, he wished he had somebody with him. But, you know, but that's with hindsight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But after that, I mean, he he did some tours around the local area um, <laughs> and he sent pictures of everything did to he? us. You know, so like we felt... Um, we were on a little tour as well. You know, it was yeah. very good. He, that's, he, that's really good. And then that day when, when operation all done and dusted, you're still in hospital, but you get to finally meet, uh, meet Neil. That must have been very emotional for both oh, of you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was. It was wonderful. It was wonderful because we, we were on a high because everything went well. You know, everything went very well. And that just carries you through the whole lot. And then to, to meet each other as well, it was just fantastic. 
And um, for him, and you know, and I know for Neil, it's it's difficult to watch his mother because he's worried about you as well. And then yeah, you've you've yeah. all, you've, all, you've all the family worried about both of you. It's <laughs> it's incredible. It's it's really inc- incredible. And while you, as you say, you're absolutely flying, have you seen a huge change in Neil from a health point of view? Oh, uh, it's just you just—it's so hard to describe. He'd just gone through a big operation, and he felt better after it than he did. You know, the day of the operation, he felt better than he did the day before. The energy. That yeah. It, it's it just, yeah, you need your kidneys for so much. It's that so, immediate, though. Oh, yeah. Like, if you asked him on a scale of 1 to 10 how he was feeling, he, he would say 10. But then the next day, he'd be even better again. So the 10 kept moving further and further. <laughs> and now he has a totally, totally normal life. And he's back. Is he studying, working? What's he up to? He's studying. He's, he's studying. in college in Limerick and he's he's going to the gym. He's yeah, he's he's just enjoying life, making plans for the future, same as everybody else. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It really is yeah. brilliant. And uh, of course, t- it's for everybody uh, to remember, Marion, you know, to carry an organ donor card. But also you need to remember to let your family members know. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so it's That's so right. it's so important that you need you let your family members know that this is your wishes. If God forbid something happens to you, uh, your organs are of no use to you when you're done and dusted, <laughs> and if they can be of use to somebody else. So please, organ donor cards they're available from the Irish Kidney Association's website ika.ie, or you can do code. 115 to be included on your driver's licence. This is Marion. It was a real pleasure to chat to you. Continued good health. You're flying it in Charleville uh, to you and uh, pass on our best wishes to Neil, your son as well. (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. bye. That is uh, Marion Coleman with uh, the story of the gift second chance of giving a gift of life to her son. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Stay on a health related uh, topic because a coloblast stoma review pop up clinic is going to be held tomorrow, Thursday, from 10 until 3 at the Maritime Hotel in Bantry. The free review and assessment will be carried out by Laura Hogg. Horgan, who is a stoma nurse who joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Laura. Good morning, Patricia. I'm I'm very well and you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose for people who perhaps don't know what a stoma is, can you start by explaining what a stoma is? Yeah, so I suppose a stoma is an opening in the body um, and it allows waste to exit your body. So there's kind of different stomas. Most commonly the ones that we would deal with would be stomas um, from the bowel. So it would kind of be um, excrementing um, fecal matter. People can also have a stoma where there's urine coming out um, and they would be kind of be the most common ones that we would deal with in the community. OK, yeah, the one in the bowel, I think, is probably the one people mostly think about when know they hear about, the word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have we any idea on the numbers of people who live in Ireland with a stoma? I suppose to put it into perspective, in Ireland alone, there's about 2,000 stomas made every year. 
now some of those would be um they wouldn't always be permanent some of them will be permanent and some people then will be able to get them reversed um after a few months or after a year um up to their surgeon if that would be appropriate um so that's kind of i suppose the level that we're yeah uh, the number that we're dealing with about two th- over two thousand a year is made well, in Ireland. So that's a high, uh, Huge, a higher yeah. number than, than I would have thought. And when someone initially gets uh, a stoma, can it be very overwhelming, very frightening for some people? Do some people, for example, feel embarrassed about the idea of a stoma? Of course, there's a lot of you know people still have a lot of stigma around it. Essentially, you know, they're going um, to have this procedure done for, you know, there's a number of different reasons. So they're trying to process that and they might have to have more treatment afterwards, which they're trying to process. They're trying to recover from a surgery. And then they also have this new stoma that they've never had to deal with before. They mightn't have looked at a stoma before or, you know, been too too aware of what a stoma was. Now they have a stoma that they have to look after. Um, And, you know, that's it's changes to their body image. Um, so there's a massive, you know, area around that and trying to get people comfortable with looking after it and getting back to doing everything that they love um, on a daily basis. And knowing that, you know, a stoma doesn't prevent you from doing anything. And once you are recovered from surgery, you can get back out there doing all the things that you love doing and, and living your full life again. And is, is that really your message that, you know, people with stomas do lead a full and a very active life? Hundred percent. That's what we always try and I suppose we want to get people back there so that they don't feel like a stoma is holding them back. It shouldn't hold them back. You know, there's so many different products out there and um different things that I suppose just trying to make life as easy as possible for them living with a stoma so that it doesn't prevent them from doing the things that they love in life. Has stoma care and technology, Laura, changed over the years? Definitely. Do you know, and even you know, it's continuing to change. And, you know, uh, different companies are always looking at their products. How can we make it better? We get feedback from, um, you know, people, our, our patients and our clients using the Stoma products. How do they feel like it can be better? And looking at just, I suppose, again, to uh, keep improving the technology. Um, you know, there's always room for improvement in everything mm. in life. And uh, I suppose just being aware of that so we continue to improve it again to make life as easy as possible for people living with Stomas. Would you describe a stoma today as being very discreet from, say, what it was 30, 40 years ago? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, really, as long as someone has, uh, you know, their bag on, it has a good seal, it's not leaking. There shouldn't be any odour coming from this um, bag. You know, it, it comes in, the colours that it come with are come in. We try and make them as discreet as possible so that you don't see it under clothing. Um, and really... Like, you know, you're passing people every day. Like I said, the number there, it's a high number that's made every year. It would, you know, it shocks people to know how many stomas are made. So people don't realise. So they're passing people every day in the street and they have stomas and people don't know it. Yeah, 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 exactly. People aren't going around wearing a T-shirt saying, I, yeah, I have a stoma. You, wouldn't, have a stoma. you yeah, wouldn't even know. Yeah, they yeah. are. They are discreet. And, and you mentioned that some can be reversed. Is is that common? Yeah. It can be quite common, yeah. So um, essentially, if we're trying to, you know, if, if if somebody's resecting part of their bowel and we're just waiting for that part of the bowel to heal, they'll put a stoma in to kind of divert the fecal matter there. Um, and you would have to wait a minimum of three months before you'll be able to get that reversed again up to your surgeon and how well they feel things have healed inside before they can reverse it. 
And for people who are living permanently with a, a stoma, should they see somebody like you, like a, a stoma nurse, you know, once a year for, for you know, for a, a review, exactly what you're trying to do tomorrow? Definitely. And, you know, even if people don't feel like they're having any issues, it's always good to just chat to somebody, I suppose, in that area, chat to a stoma nurse, because, you know, different products have come along and might make life a little bit easier for you. You know, as we get older and our body shape changes the size of our stoma might change so it's always good to have a remeasurement there and things that people might be just dealing with on a day-to-day basis that they they think is okay you know it might actually be something that we can change and make a little bit easier for them okay so okay. It's, it's definitely you know and um we would recommend a yearly review if they if they're able to get one done just to make sure that that everything is okay yeah. and is there support available for people who live with stomas are there support groups out there there are support groups. So there is, if people look online, there's a website called ostomygroups.ie and it will give you a list of different support groups um, in your area. They're in most counties. There's one in Cork um, and it's um, just people volunteer. I know there's a lady um, who runs it um, and her number will be up on this website um, and they have a monthly meeting. Um, in Cork and it's just people who are living with stomas just go they have a chat um, I suppose different things that they have gone through that might be able to help somebody else um, but it's just great I suppose you know they're the experts by experience absolutely so it's just great for them and, to have that conversation and I'm thinking Laura of somebody maybe you know who recently has had a, a stoma and you know that fear factor we, we spoke about and, and the embarrassment to sit with mm-hmm. somebody who maybe has had one for five or six years and for them to talk about it, you know, definitely, it's it's going definitely. to be okay. Exactly. Do you know, I suppose we can give them so much information, but I suppose when I don't have a stomach myself, it means so much more coming from somebody who does have one. Yeah, and, and like a lot of people were at that time of year where people are planning, you know, travel and summer holidays, uh, etc. I mean, somebody with a stoma shouldn't be limited with, with travel. No, no. So um, there are little travel certificates that you can get and, and Coloplast have them just so that if they were to go through security and if they were questioned about their supply or, you know, if they had to, um, you know, have more of a, I suppose, be, I suppose, assessed by security if they were kind of suspicious of anything, that they would have the certificate there to say, look, I have a stoma, this is what it is. But when there's so many out there, you know, really these people, you know, in the airport and through security, they'll be used to people coming through with stomas. And you can bring your stoma supplies with you, I suppose, just knowing that you can't bring any aerosols, um, online or on the flight with you but you can put it into your checked in luggage and just I mean the thing with everything is you know just being prepared so yeah. always having wherever you're going always having just a change bag with you so that if something was to happen you're prepared and you can change your bag there and then Okay I don't know if you can answer this but Jim wants to know could you ask uh, Laura your stoma uh, nurse why aren't home carers trained to change stoma bags and does she think that's something that should happen? It's obviously for somebody um, at home who has home carers coming in. Yeah, look, I suppose I don't have the answer to that question. And I suppose it depends on their resources as well. Um, you know, when somebody has a stoma made in the hospital, it's very much the person themselves is, is taught to look after it. And obviously there, there are situations then where, you know, some people can't look after themselves. Um, so I suppose, and depending, every area is different. You know, you might get some public health nurses that are, are happy to manage the stomach care, but... I don't think it's it's, you know, kind of in their job description to kind yeah, of manage stomas. Yeah. So it's it's I suppose I know in that sense it's can be sometimes going down the private route of getting private 
um, carers to help manage the stomach care. Um, I don't think it's done everywhere with public home health. OK, somebody wants, wants to know, with an ageing population, does Laura expect to see more people requiring stoma surgery? Is, is it an age related issue? Can it be an age related issue? No, no, I mean, it's it's known. I suppose, look, at, as we get older, you know, I suppose different complications can happen. But, you know, I've seen children with stomas. There's baby with stomas. Oh. Um, so it's not. So yeah, they, they grow yeah. up with it all their lives then, do they? Depending on why they've had the stoma made, they okay. might be able to get it reversed, but they might not as well. So all right, and actually on that reverse, I can see there's a couple of questions in can all stomas be reversed? But I think you said that it depends on why you got the stoma. And you're consulting exactly, up to your surgeon. Yeah. OK, yes. now tomorrow, tell me about tomorrow. It is it's you're there all day from 10 in the morning until three. Do people need to make appointments? Yes. So if people can make appointments, that would be great with one of our um, people working in the office, Kevin. So the number to call is zero one nine one nine zero one nine zero. And he can book you into time slots, but also look at if people don't make an appointment, you know, feel free to, to you know, um, come to the hotel if we can fit you in, if we can review you then we will. So I suppose it's just having an assessment of your body, having a look at your stoma, your body shape, reviewing your products. Um, if there's anything else that we can recommend that might make life a little bit easier for you. Um, and I suppose giving you our contact details so that you do have ongoing support there and education if they needed it. Well done. And obviously, if people have any questions or queries, you'll be able to an- you'll be hopefully able to answer them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah of course. Okay. Listen. Good luck with it uh, tomorrow. Maritime Hotel in Bantry from ten a.m. to three p.m. Kevin at that Dublin number oh one nine one nine zero one nine zero for that free uh, stoma review pop up clinic tomorrow. Listen, Laura. Thank you for that. Thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. Thanks very much, Patricia. Good, bye good morning to you. Bye bye. That is Laura Horgan, who is a stoma nurse. A couple of people on about uh, stomas. Uh, some listener says a friend of mine had a bag, a stoma. It was after a serious heart attack. He was a young man, but it was uh, reversed. And that's exactly the point that Laura, our stoma nurse, was saying that it depends on the reason that you get the stoma installed. Obviously, it depends on consultants. It isn't suitable for everyone to have, have it res- reversed. Uh, but many do get it reversed. Colin was on to say his mother had a stoma she was very embarrassed about it. Uh, Column describes it as making a gurgling noise and uh, because of it, her, his mother wouldn't go out in company. It was really limiting her life. She thankfully uh, had it reversed quite successfully and she went back to her normal living uh, again. And I think that was the point that Laura is trying to get across to people that you can live a very full life with your stoma and that's why going to someplace like tomorrow to that review uh, clinic because technology has changed and advances have changed so much in uh, stoma care. For example, they're much more, the newer ones are much more discreet. They're much more uh, comfortable. And I don't know about this gurgling sound. I hadn't heard of that uh, before. So maybe things have changed. Colm, I don't know when your um, mother's stoma when the initial operation happened or when she had the reversal. But that's the, the point of having these review clinics to go and 
to see is there something different that can be done or a different storm of product that can be used to stop something like that because the message I think to anybody who ha- who ends up living with a stoma that they can and do people go on living with stomas lead a very full active and very fulfilling life once they have the proper management and the proper supports thank you for your calls and texts on that to 0818103103 on the eviction ban John in Cove says maybe it is time we had an eviction out of Leinster House not just of the current government says John he says of all the parties when you look at the formation of this state a hundred years ago and what has happened since the great resources of our country are all being taken away we've lost our sugar we're slowly losing our fishing we're we're losing our peat production are losing our oil that's offshore old all closed down or else been sold off maybe just maybe says John in Cove we might be better off with the Union Jack flying over our buildings since the foundation of the state our assets and, and our country has been changed and John feels it's all down to greed I don't well while some people are calling for a general election John I don't know how many people maybe some would agree with you to go go back and go under Great Britain and go back under the Union Jack I don't know how many people are going to agree with you on at that one but your thoughts and comments welcomed to 0818103103 uh, John Paul taking the calls there uh, we're also by the way looking for anyone that has a gardening questions because Peter Dowdle is going to be joining us in the next hour. I know Mary already has been on to us that all her daffodils are lying flat after the rain yesterday. But if you have a gardening question for Peter, now is the time uh, to get it in. We also, of course, by text or a WhatsApp, you can get your questions into us as well. 086 103103. The Premier League Live on C103.ie is taking a break this weekend. The international matches are on, isn't it? So there's uh, we don't have matches uh, this weekend, but it does mean it will return the following Saturday, which is the 1st of April, powered by Talk Sport. Trevor Welch will be back with all of the action from the Premier League. It'll include the live games, we'll have the big match interviews and much, much more. It's the Premier League Live. It's online with Harvey Norman your home of the big screen and it will be returning Saturday week the 1st of April you can get it on the app or you can get it at c103.ie but no Premier League live this weekend uh, because of the uh, internationals that are going ahead somebody's asking about the clocks uh, going forward yes the clocks are going forward this Saturday night into Sunday morning so it does mean brighter mornings and the wonderful bright uh, evenings we're all looking forward to that but yes they go forward an hour on Saturday and we will remind you of it again uh, certainly before the close of the show on Friday let's take a break we need to have news at uh, 12 midday John Paul taking gardening questions 0818 103 103 text or whatsapp your gardening questions to 0862 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to Court Today on Replay. 
Phone and text lines are currently closed. Mick in Butterwind was reacting to John from Cove who contacted us to say we're losing so many of our resources in this country and he'd suggested maybe we would be better off if we had the Union Jack flying over Leinster House and get rid of all of the government parties. Mick says John is spot on. All of our Irish resources are sold out. We're losing them all. It's thanks to greed and of course the mighty EU says Mick. But Mick says I don't agree with him in going back under British rule but I can't see why we as a country can't live independently with all of our national resources well that we have or at least that we had said uh, Mick in Butterfant 0818103103 oh I spotted this yesterday evening said I must give a mention to it to today because it certainly was a campaign we backed uh, last year and I'm sure uh, John Paul ran an interview with this. I was on holidays, I think it was during uh, last summer. It's to do with a wonder drug for CF patients. It's a drug called Caftrio. And yesterday it finally got approval for use by children aged between six and 11. And what had happened was they had previously fell outside the eligibility criteria for this cystic fibrosis drug. Now, the HSE made the announcement yesterday uh, to say that it's now been approved for children in that age group and they've had robust and lengthy engagements with the drug manufacturers, Vertex, because obviously this all went down to a funding issue. And the HSC said that Caftrio was used for the treatment of cystic fibrosis and that they are now extending it for the use in patients aged six to eleven. Uh, um, and they had been outside of the group. Dr. Colm Henry, who is HSE's chief clinical officer, said the negotiated agreement with the manufacturer has now been finalised and the HSE has approved this drug, which he admits and says will improve the lives of children who can now avail of it. And the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, described the news as a very welcomed development. And he said Caftrio has been a life-changing drug and it has for cystic fibrosis sufferers and it has been so difficult on the families. I'm open to correction, but I think if my memory serves me right, there's only 35 children in that age group, 6 to uh, 11, who would could avail of this uh, drug because I know it, it has to be a particular type of uh, mutation uh, in order to get it. So there was only a very small number, but my goodness for those families who were seeing their children deteriorating, they knew from obviously being members of things like you know the Cystic Fibrosis Association, they saw the difference it was ma- making in CS sufferers who were able to avail of this life-changing drug and yet they couldn't get their hands on it for their uh, children. And as I say, we spoke with one of the families that was involved last year because it was the it was the families themselves, as I say, I think about 35 families who really put up, you know, quite a vigorous campaign to try to get the mes- message across to say, look, our children really, really do need uh, this drug and it finally got approval uh, yesterday. So as I say, I want to mention that because we often back those campaigns and do interviews on those campaigns and then we don't always hear what happens afterwards. So it's good, particularly when it ends in a good news story. So a very welcomed relief to those families and no doubt for families in the future whose children uh, may be born with a CF. Oh eight one eight one oh three one oh three and staying on health topics, we seem to have a lot of health topics on the pro- programme this morning. Cases of the winter vomiting bug. 
they are now four times higher than they were this time last year. And certainly even anecdotally, I know from chatting to people, I'm hearing of more people who are suddenly coming down with this uh, vomiting bug, this winter vomiting bug. And I know many number of years ago I had the winter vomiting bug and it is absolutely dreadful because it just comes on you so quickly. And I remember at the time describing that it was almost like I was vomiting from my toes up. I had never experienced anything like it uh, before. It really is a horrible, horrible, nasty bug. And now the case is four times higher than this time uh, last year. It's easily spread and it does exactly what, it's, what, what I've just described. It causes this sudden onset of vomiting and our diarrhoea. And health officials now are asking any infected people if you come down with any kind of a very sudden vomiting bug to please don't go to work, don't go to school, definitely don't pay a visit to a nursing home or to a hospital. And they suggest you need to be 48 hours symptoms free before they reckon you can go back out into the uh, community. So almost asking you to self-isolate the HSE's health Surveillance Protection Centre are appealing for people just to be aware of the symptoms and they've revealed that there's been 394 cases and that's just in the first 10 weeks of this year and that number is four times higher than what was reported in the first 10 weeks of last year. Now those that are most affected by the winter vomiting bug are children and adults over the age of 65 with almost half of all of the cases reported to date having been in elderly people. About 28% of cases are found in children and it's the very young children, it's the children under the age of five. Norovirus, as the winter vomiting bug is known, is very easily spread between people. Now, if you do, if you are lucky enough to get it, it only lasts, um, it, it doesn't last for very long, your symptoms yourself, but the problem is that the virus itself can last a very long time on surfaces and then if you go and touch the surface where some of this virus has landed you then put your hand into your mouth without washing your hands you end up with uh, norovirus so cleaning your hands now cleaning your hands with soap and water is the best protection against catching the winter vomiting bug and the HSC are saying it's important to note that the alcohol gel hand gels that we all got so used to using during coronavirus and many of us are still using it they don't work against this virus we know that the hand gels work against COVID-19 but they don't work against the winter vomiting bug and if you are a family member develops this as I say it's a very forceful vomiting then the other advice is don't go anywhere near your GP surgery without phoning uh, head first the infection is usually mild for most uh, people um, and only lasts a day or two but it's the very young the children under the age of five and the elderly people, they are the ones that can become extremely sick. And people who get sick with norovirus can still spread the infection. They even say up to 48 hours after all the symptoms uh, is gone. And by the way, there is no known uh, treatment for the infection. And as a result of the pandemic restrictions, that's one of the reasons that there has been very little winter vomiting bugs reported over the last uh, couple of years. But now they're starting to see the cases increase. It's not just in this country, by the way. There's been an increase in America and there's been an increase in the United Kingdom. They're all seeing very high levels of the winter uh, vomiting bug. They're continuing to uh, rise. And the HSE are saying it is possible that levels of the norovirus in Ireland 
will continue to rise even further. And there was a time, certainly before COVID, we saw so many nursing homes would restrict visitors because they got the winter vomiting uh, bug and we saw a nursing home, so the winter vomiting bug spread amongst uh, patients. And because elderly people can become so unwell with it, it's one of the reasons if you've any kind of a stomach bug, they always tell you don't go anywhere near uh, a nursing home. So please keep that in mind. There is an increase in it at the moment. And certainly as I say, I know, I know already of one person uh, I know who described exactly those symptoms and it was just very suddenly it comes on. So it's the hand washing is really important and then if somebody else in the house does have the norovirus it's cleaning and it's disinfecting any what can be contaminated surfaces. They're saying for example bleach based cleaners by far the, far the best washing clothes and bed linen anything where the virus may have come in contact with very uh, hot water discarding, discarding any any discarded vomit or faeces obviously straight down uh, the toilet and just making sure all the surrounding areas are kept as clean as possible uh, because the danger is that if the norovirus comes into the household and you don't keep up really really strict cleaning and a cleaning routine and hygiene it'll spread very quickly between all of the family so look after yourself be careful out there 0818103103 our lines are open I can already see some questions coming in for Peter Dowdell our gardener if you've got a question John Paul's taking calls you can text her WhatsApp in questions as well to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. And a reminder to you that fundraising is ongoing. It's for an AstroTurf pitch in Castletown Bear Primary School, which will be of benefit to the whole community of the Bear Peninsula. A GoFundMe page has been set up. They're trying to raise €50,000 that's needed. You can help by buying a square for €200, a half a square for €100. Full details are available on their GoFundMe page for Uncree Community Astro. The Diary of Anne Frank will be told with original music and stunning on-screen visuals. It's happening on Saturday the 15th of April in the Palace Theatre in Formoy. Now tickets are available now, €18, which includes a wine reception and are available by calling 025-32042. Mallow Daffodil Day Committee, they're still looking for volunteers to help them with the annual Flag Day collection, which of course, as we mentioned earlier, is happening this Friday. Anyone with even an hour to spare, please enter your name on the roster sheet in McSweeney's Footwear on Main Street in Mallow. Also, the committee are looking for any fresh daffodils that people would like to donate. They can be handed in to Lucy's Christmas shop tomorrow between 3 and 5 in the afternoon. And staying with Daffodil Day, there are some coffee mornings happening this this Friday, Cottrell's Shop in Ballinhasek, they've got a coffee morning on Friday, 9am to 2pm. Daffodil Day, uh, no, there's a coffee morning also going on in O'Sullivan's Pharmacy, that's in Bandon. And both of those are happening on the day itself, Friday the 24th of March. The Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day for this year. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. 
Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. And I can see gardening questions coming in for Peter. Keep those coming in to us and Peter will be joining us in a couple of minutes. Now, last week on the programme, we had a listener who contacted us and was wondering if I knew anything about what was happening with the free book scheme for primary school children. Remember, this was one of the initiatives that was announced in the budget last October due to come in in September of this year. And this listener, mum of a number of children in primary school and already trying to plan for next September. Can you believe somebody who's trying to put the bit away every week for the cost of going back uh, to school was just wondering, had there been any update? Had there been any announcement on how the free book scheme was going to work? Was it going to be up to parents themselves? Was it the school? How was it going to work? So I did a bit of snooping around last week and I couldn't find anything about it other than the listener was right. It was announced in the October budget for this year. Well, lo and behold, it's been officially, well, the details of the scheme are being revealed today. Now, it seems that primary schools will each receive €96 per pupil and that money then will go to fund the first universal free book scheme. We've never had a free book scheme uh, across every child in primary school before and it is to be rolled out in September. The funding according to the Department of Education will total more than 50 million euro and it's intended that this scheme is going to provide free books free workbooks and free copybooks. And that will come as a great relief to parents. As I say, the mum who contacted us, I'm sure she's had three or four children in primary school. I think she had another little little one who was going to be starting in September, I think bringing her number to four. She was saying that's a lot of uh, school books. Over a half a million pupils attend 3,230 primary schools in this country. That includes 130 special schools as well. All of them will benefit. And as I say, it is the first time that the state has ever funded free books for every single primary pupil. Now, this €96 per pupil figure, that follows an analysis of more than three years of data from the schools that have already been been involved in a pilot free book scheme. What they did was they picked 102 primary schools in Desh the DESH scheme, schools that are in disadvantaged communities. So they worked a pilot model in those schools and based on that they worked out that when you, I mean obviously the children in primary uh, school, primary class, their books wouldn't be as expensive as say the books for the children in sixth class. So when you balance it out across all of the pupils in the school, they worked it out at €96 per pupil should be enough funding for the national school to be able to provide all of the school books all of the workbooks and all of the copybooks. Now, how is it going to work? The funding is going to go directly to the schools and then they'll buy the necessary school books and any other related classroom resources that they need. The guidelines are being issued today formally by the Education Minister, Norma Foley. So the scheme gets formally launched today. Now, it'd be the principals all over the country I think will be reading over all of these guidelines and scrutinising all of it and just to make sure how it's all going to work. Now it seems one of the key features of the guidance that's going out to schools today they'll have the flexibility to decide where to purchase the books. Now I think that's uh, that's I'm really pleased to see that contained in the guidelines because that means that the local schools then can buy the books from a local bookshop because obviously when this first got mentioned the one thing I thought about was what was the you know the local bookshops that have been supplying school books 
to all of the families, you know, what's going to happen there. So it looks like the schools themselves will have the flexibility because they'll physically get the grant so they can go out then to the local Bundeside where we're going to need so many copies of that and so many copies of that. The funding provides uh, the school with the grant to assist with the rollout and the implementation of the scheme. And they're also saying the grant will help to relieve any perceived administration burden. Free books for primary schools has been long sought after by the National Parents Council Primary. They've been fighting tooth and nail for it. We've heard from groups like Bernardo's have been calling for it. And I certainly have done interviews with the Societies of Vincent de Paul, who obviously every year have been helping families covering the back to school costs. So they've been saying we should be giving free books. I mean, in an ideal world, you'd give free books in both primary and secondary. But look, this is a start to get them rolled out in primary uh, school. And as it was agreed for budget uh, 2023, so the Cabinet are signing off on it. And the measure will build on the existing school book rental scheme. Now, that's available in many primary schools at the moment. Some of my worries, though, around this is the admin side side of it for the principals. Some of uh, the principals in this country work so hard. I mean, just the day-to-day running of the school and now suddenly on top of that, they're going to have to, these grants are going to arrive. They're going to have to decide what books are needed, how many books are going to be needed. Now, I know they're saying there will be some kind of a, a grant to assist with the rollout and I'm assuming the first year of any of these new schemes will always be the most uh, complicated. So, the guidance now issued to all of the schools, only time will tell how the principals themselves are, whether they'll say that €96 is enough to cover all the costs or whether they're going to have to go back to the department for more or not. But certainly from the parents' point of view and parents that are really struggling at the moment, I think it is a good news story because I was fearful when we weren't hearing anything and, you know, the fact where, you know, this year seems to be flying by. We're already nearly at the end of uh, March. September will come upon us really, really quickly. And it's, you know, it's unfair to land this on the schools. We need to give the schools as much time as possible to put the systems into place to get out there and to buy the books and get the books and have all the resources in place. So uh, today, the official guideline, the, the guidance now, as I say, we will wait and see how that news gets received by the uh, principals of all of the national schools. 0818103103. And someone else was on, Sarah was on to say, Patricia, did you see that Miriam O'Callaghan has decided that she's not going to put her name forward for the late, late? I did. I was looking at this uh, yesterday and the indications at the moment now are that even though RT haven't directly come out and said it but some people are saying if they really want to put a fresh face on the Late Late Show that really they should put a female in because we've had three presenters of the Late Late in what is one of the longest running shows in the world but all of them so far has been male and there's a lot of people saying is it time to put a woman in the seat of the Late Late and of course one of the front runners was the wonderful very talented Miriam O'Callaghan but yesterday she has ruled herself out of replacing Ryan Tuberty. She's still at the moment the, uh, the bookies favourite and she says that she didn't want the job 14 years ago and she said I certainly don't want it now and she went, she, she actually took to her own social media yesterday, she put up quite a lengthy post but I think she just wanted to stop 
her being asked, are you going for the Late Late Show? And just to put the put it out there, I'm really not interested. And she said in her social media post that I read yesterday that the Late Late Show is an incredible uh, programme. It has not, it's not just the jewel in the crown of Irish broadcasting. It's also an institution stitched into the fabric of Irish life. She said Ryan Tauberty has done a superb job presenting it for the past 14 years. And she said, although the speculation about, about me being one of the favourites to take over the Late Late Show is very flattering. She said that won't be happening as I'm not throwing my hat into the ring to be considered. She said I love what I do too much on prime time to leave it and what we do in current affairs as a team really matters and can actually change lives. It's what I love doing most of all as a broadcast journalist and I'm not prepared uh, to give up that show. So she's firmly putting it out there and then she spoke about 14 years ago when Ryan Tuberty took over again there was speculation that she was going to be put into the seat uh, to follow um, Pat Kenny who was retiring at that stage from it and at that stage she said no and she is still staying no the RT star went on to send on her warmest regards to those looking to contest the hot seat she said she's been lucky enough that she presented the Late Late Show twice and when we discussed this last Friday when the news broke about Ryan Tuberty I remembered her presenting it once I didn't remember but she seemingly she presented it twice and she said she loved both experiences and she wishes whoever goes for the job job the very best she said it's a brilliant opportunity and it is very exciting and of course the other names that are still in contention if you're staying with the females Claire Byrne's name is still out there even though I still I it's not to say Claire Byrne won't go for it but she stepped down from TV work and is concentrating just on her radio work because of her family commitments she's got a young family now maybe maybe the carrot of being dangled in front of the Late Late Show might be too much for her to turn down and she might decide Jennifer Zapparelli she's still another female that has been uh, mentioned and then there's some of the males whose names are being bandied about Tommy Tiernan is there Brendan O'Connor is there and Dahi O'Shea all likely contenders for the hosting job and the new uh, presenter is expected D Forbes said this last last Friday when she mentioned that Ryan Tuberty was stepping down that the announcement won't be made until the summer so you know I don't know I mean I'm assuming there's lots of negotiations going on in the background I do like Tommy Tiernan's show on a Saturday night but then that's a very different show to a live show if you speak to anyone who's been on the Tommy Tiernan show those interviews can run for you know the bones of 50 minutes an hour and then it's condensed down into the small segment you see so it's very different to a live show but listen I'm not I think he's very talented I think he'd be well able for it as well but I think lots of people are pointing to RT if they want to sort of put a new spin on the late late and bring it forward maybe they do need to start looking at a female presenter 0818 103 103 John Paul is taking your calls you can text you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 your gardening questions please because Peter Dowdell our resident It's that time of the year your vacation is coming up you can already hear the beach waves Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ardner is up next. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. C103 Gardening with the Mallow Home and Garden Festival May 26th to 28th at Cork Racecourse Mallow. It's too big to miss. There's our first mention of the Mallow Garden uh, Festival. Here is Peter Dowdle, the Irish Gardener.com. Uh, good morning to you, Peter. Or good afternoon. Good morning, good afternoon, good even afternoon, Trish. How are you? As it is now. Garden Festival just be around the corner. We're nearly at the end of March and the clocks are going forward this Saturday. Is it this? My, my daughter was asking me that earlier. I said it's probably next month sometime. So <laughs> I'm, I'm behind myself. Right? Well, well, do you know something? It, it, it snuck up on me. It was only yesterday I realised. I had to double check it. It is this weekend. Oh, I'm delighted though. I'm delighted, I yeah, must say. Yeah, it is. It yeah, is but it has great. snuck up on us. Yeah, and the, the garden is kind of growing in front of us without even seeing, without, without, it does, does this to me every year. It catches me unawares. Yeah, so we're nearly at the end of March. Already this year seems to be flying by. Okay, let's get straight into questions. John and Skull was on to say that he last year picked a lot of heads from wild flowers. He still has them. Now he said they very much have died off. So he wants to know, what do I do? Do I sow them now? What's the best way to do it? He wants to create his very own wild flower patch. And that's great because like by by collecting his own, he he really is making it his own because he's collected the seed. So what you do is, uh, which he did the the correct thing by harvesting the the seed heads last autumn, so kind of September, October, November last year, cut the seed heads. Uh, you can like you could leave them on the ground and let the seed disperse naturally, but as he's taken them in, what you want to do is shake the seeds, or maybe he's already done this, shake the seeds out of the seed heads onto a bit. I do this on the kitchen table with a bit of newspaper underneath. Shake them onto the newspaper or brown paper or whatever. Uh, and so you then you separate the chaff from the seed, if you like. Uh, and what you do, once you have that seed collected, um, this time of the year, March, March, April, really are the best months to do it. After that, then it's September, October. Uh, it's There's nothing to it, really. Just you need to make sure that the seed makes contact with, with bare soil, that you're not scattering seed on top of grass or vegetation because it won't germinate then. It needs to make contact with the soil. Uh, and really, if you, if you have clean soil for it, it doesn't want to be rich soil. It doesn't want to be good quality soil, if you like. It wants to be nutrient poor. Uh, or else the grasses will take over. So if you if you make just make sure that it's not wonderful soil. There's no existing growth there that the the soil is clear and just sow the seeds onto it and and you could roll them in or stand them in if you want or just more importantly it's just uh, you know nature is doing this bit but most importantly is water them in at the moment. Yeah, and I, as you say, I love the idea of what John has done is to collect 
the heads and maybe that's a suggestion for other people to do this year if you come across nice wild flowers just take some of the heads Absolutely, don't take the plant out of, out of the ditch or anything like that. It's illegal apart from anything else, and it won't. Um, chances are they won't transplant properly. So yeah, just just harvest some of the seed heads. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, it's, a, it's a great idea. Martin wants to know what can be done with palm trees that are turning brown. Hard to say. Presumably, when he uses the term palm, he's talking there about conifers. Um, depends which you need a bit more information. It, it depends which ones they are. It depends how old they are, and it depends what's causing it. But like when you see something like that, particularly if they're established or mature conifers that are turning brown, you, you look at it in the first instance, you might look for, you know, environmental damage. And what I mean by that is kind of localized. Was there an oil spill or did you some weed killer spray onto it or something like that? But presuming or assuming that that's not the case, maybe it is the case. But if that's not the case, then you need to go investigating further. And if there's no obvious reason for it, it's most likely some kind of a fungal problem, a fungal infection, maybe Phytophthora or similar, which has got hold. Um, but it does warrant a bit more investigation because, you know, if it, th- th- there's not much you can do with Phytophthora, unfortunately, or honey fungus, but you would want to know if you have either of them in the garden. So it does warrant a bit further investigation, maybe bring some photos to your local garden centre, perhaps, or, um, or, or talk to a knowledgeable gardener nearby and see if they can shed some light on it. Yeah, and the fact that Martin in his text is co- talking about palm trees in the plural, so it's not just one tree yes, that has turned yeah, brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah. No, the, the, the other thing, sorry, sorry Trish, just on that note, the other thing is if they're layland palms and if they're just going brown on the inside, or well all conifers will go brown on the inside with the greenery on the outside, it may just be that, which is totally natural. Our layland palms, you, you know, the Capresica Paris Leylandii, which uh, people are either love or hate. Yeah, they they do also have a lifespan. So I mean, if if they're fifty or sixty year old plants, it's maybe they're just coming to the end of their life. Yeah, yeah, need to be replaced. Okay, question mm. for Peter, please. What is the mixing ratio for copper sulfate and water in order to spray apple trees? What I, I often recommend this, as you know, Trish, to, at, at this time of the year, time of bud burst, to, to spray apple trees and, and rose bushes and things like this. With a solution of copper sulfate and water, it, it works as a preventative for many fungal infections, which they can suffer from. Um, the solution will vary on where you buy it or where you get it. So the garden centre product, which is a kind of like in the form of a white powder, uh, and it's, it's sold as copper mixture. You mix that, I think I'm right, to the rate 35 grams to a litre or a litre and a half of water. But you can also get it, obviously, in the form of what's called bluestone, which you'll get in your local co-op or dairy gold or wherever. Um, You'd want to ask them, because I'm not a chemist and I know there's various different strengths of it depending on on whether uh, I think it's pentoxide. I'm not sure of even the terminology, but I know there's different strengths of it. so you would want to find out from where you buy it as to the correct rate to to, to dilute it. Okay, say on palm trees, somebody has a palm tree that they want to cut six or seven feet off. I'd like to know, is, is it okay to do it now? It's about 18 to 20 feet tall. They've sent on a photograph. It's the typical palm tree. Yeah, well, no, it's not okay to do it now and it's no. illegal to do it now okay. from the under the, wild, the Wildlife Act. So don't because there will be or there very possibly will be wildlife nesting in, in it. So don't. Um, I would say you could do it towards the end of the year, which is kind of October time, but you're probably better off doing it maybe in February of next year, just as the new growth is beginning. I'd rather cut it as the, the temperatures are rising as opposed to when the temperatures are dropping. Um, on saying all that, that's the correct timing, but... 
be very careful before you do it because you will I haven't seen a photograph obviously I don't know them but like you will destroy the shape of them and they won't regain that shape it's not like pruning deciduous trees where they can you know keep their shape it will look like forever that it's been cut so and it, it, they won't green up under where they around where they've been cut. So just bear all that in mind. And if you're happy with that and still happy to do it, and if it need, needs be, then I would say wait till maybe kind of January, February of next year. And I'm looking at the picture in front of me. It's a gorgeous shape, but I can see the problem. It's in a beautiful garden. It's just it's gone too big. It's just gone too high for the rest of the garden. Well, make sure then that you get just a, a good, a good, um, reputable tree surgeon down to look at it, uh, because there's a right way and a wrong way, or, or mm. you can you can minimise, let's say, the visual impact of doing it, uh, and and try and do do it the the right way as opposed to the wrong way. Yes, because it's it's, be- it's a beautiful looking garden and a very healthy looking tree as well. I have to say, uh, and also uh, a laburnum vasali vasili. Which uh, which I planted uh, Vassia, yeah. Vassia, yeah. which I planted three years ago. It hasn't flowered yet. Is there anything I could do to encourage the flowers? The the, the gardener's magic word. I'm afraid patience, <laughs> patience. Yeah, Laverne and the you know the beautiful golden rain, the golden the, the lovely golden flowers will be out soon. Um, th- three years in the ground is not that long in gardening terms. I'm afraid. Um, I would say it's just a matter of time. I hope maybe even this year. Uh, there's not a whole pile you can do to encourage it, provided it's growing in a sunny position that's getting a good amount of sunlight and it's warm. Um, the only thing you could try is maybe some sulfate of potash around it at the moment uh, to try and promote some flower buds. Worth to try, sulfate of potash are, are a good quality organic tomato food. Catherine in Donorail, my Leylandi hedge is fraying, deteriorating and getting brown. There are holes forming at the bottom, but it seems healthy higher up. Can I do anything to bring it back? It's about 12 feet high. They're all ringing about their Leyland hedge today, yeah. aren't they? Um, it seems it seems to be a problem. Now, the, the way, what she's describing can be very natural or naturally occurring, and it's mo- most likely caused by just not enough sunlight getting to the lower areas. So... What I would say, what I was talking there earlier about cutting back the other one, there's a right way and a wrong way of doing it. When you're cutting back a conifer hedge, um, it's you kind of taper it so that it's, it's a bit kind of cone-shaped, if you know what I mean, Trish, so that the, the bottom part of, of the conifer should be sticking out slightly more than the top part so that it's the sunlight is getting to all parts of it. In other words, if the top of the hedge is overshadowing and shading the lower part, then it will start doing what she's describing. You'll start getting brown patches and holes. It sounds more like that, a lack of sunlight and maybe a bit hungry as opposed to any fungal infection or bacterial problem that she's, the way she's describing it. So I would say a bit of good pruning uh, where there's more sunlight getting to the lower part of the plant could help there. Okay, and Catherine also has lavender in a pot. She says, it seems dead. I'm wondering, might it come back? Or can I cut it back or do I just simply get rid of it? I would say get rid of it. Lavender, I don't know obviously if it's dead or not because I haven't seen it, but lavender is one of these plants that it it does tend to get woody and leggy in our climate. It just loves that we give it rich soil. We probably feed it and good compost. It gets as much rain as it wants. Uh, Not what it's used to in its native down around the Mediterranean. So it just, it grows and grows. It nearly outgrows itself. And then when it gets to the stage where it gets too leggy or perhaps it's got too wet, uh, we, we, we try and cut it back very hard to regenerate it and it just, it curlies, it doesn't like it. So I would say just replace it, I'm afraid. Yeah, and there's nothing better than the smell of lavender in the garden. Oh, oh I, I love lavender in the garden. Yeah, it's fantastic. Johnny Newmarket, would Peter recommend Grazon Rooster for killing moss on lawns? I'm not familiar with the product, so I don't know is the short answer. Um, 
the, the best the, the, what, what I would recommend for, for I'm not I'm not saying I wouldn't recommend it I just don't know it uh, what I would recommend for for using on lawns is it, in the first instance it's a good scarify scarify it to improve the kind of the soil surface and the base of the grass plants get good air aeration and you're removing a lot of the thatch and the buildup of dying and decaying matter which is where moss loves and the other thing is to um to kind of increase the soil, uh, the soil pH, so the alkalinity of the soil. So you're making it more limey, which is perfect for grass, uh, but moss wants acid soil. So the more the more you can make it slightly alkaline, the, the better you'll be against moss. Okay. Is it okay to cut back my St. John's wort now, says the listener? Yes, I think you should be okay. Where where are we in March? It's a bit late. Ideally, I would have done it in February, but you, you should probably be okay now, yeah. Okay, all right. And before you go, what are you up to? You've got something you want to tell us? On this Saturday, it's Saturday 25th, I'll be in, I mentioned it last week, but just we're in K Landscapes, which is the old Irish aggregates down in the ovens outside Ballincollig and Cork. They're, they're in the middle of, of restoring their paving centre there and myself, and there'll be six other, I think, landscape gardeners and designers there this Saturday from 9 a.m., uh, I'll be there from, from 9 until about 2 o'clock. So anybody who's got any questions or answers, feel free. And again, of course, there'll be the usual family entertainment and tea and coffee. And then the following Saturday, Trish, I'll be down in um, Elizabeth Fort, which would be a fascinating project. We're starting to talk part of the Learning Neighbourhood Network. Uh, I'll be talking about the importance of green walls and green infrastructural elements in Cork City in terms of flood relief, which oh. is something it's, it's we're not looking at the garden and nature in terms of flood relief the way we should be. Uh, so I'm hoping to, to spread the, the good news about that. Uh, and also coming up in a few weeks' time, but I'll talk more to you about it, I'll be giving some great demonstrations and in, in Photo Wildlife Park where we're talking about the, the natural connections between many of the plant species and the animal species in Photo. So there's lots coming up over the next few weeks. Well done, well done. OK, listen, have a lovely week and uh, we'll chat to you next Wednesday. Thanks, Trish. Bye. Thanks a million. That is uh, Peter Dowdle, the Irishgardener.com. A couple of people on when we mentioned the uh, late, late when I was talking about Miriam O'Callaghan has officially taken her name out of the ring. She is not interested in it. Uh, Teresa says, Patricia, when you say a lady that the RT may be looking at a female to present, what about Elaine Crowley? She was one of the names, Teresa, I suggested last Thursday when the news broke about uh, Ryan Tuberty, formerly of this parish, and she'd be well able for the job. John says, Johnny Sex for the late late he would be uh, great and then someone else says Patricia tell RTE to put on a good film on a Friday night and simply scrap the late late it does look like the government have reached an agreement with the members of the regional independent group which means the government is on course to win that dull vote this afternoon on the ending of the no fault eviction ban we uh, discuss the results of that vote in more detail on the programme tomorrow but that's where we wrap it up for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and keep yourself nice and dry this afternoon because there's going to be a lot of blustery showers and some of those showers could be quite heavy at a time so do stay dry until tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock I'm Patricia Messenger a very good afternoon Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice you know who to talk to cmig.ie